In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Sunday greetings and blessings to you. This is the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection that commences a new week and offers a new opportunity to be drawn by grace more deeply into the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the third Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is St. Basil of Caesarea, one of the great Eastern Fathers of the Church, designated the Great. St. Basil was born in the year 330 into a very devout and financially secure Christian family in the province of Cappadocia, which is located in a mountainous region of present-day central Turkey. Basil's father, also named Basil, imparted a substantial education to his son and other children, including younger brother Gregory, who would eventually become the Bishop of Nyssa, along with another brother, Peter, who became the Bishop of Sebastate. Their elder sister, Macrina, became a saintly model of the spiritual and ascetic life. Schooled well by his father, the young Basil eventually continued his education in Constantinople and then at Athens, where he and a newly acquired friend, another Gregory, who would eventually become the Bishop of Nazianzus, when Basil completed his education, he returned home as an acknowledged rhetorician which he soon abandoned to live an austere life of prayer and service to the poor. Basil began to live a type of monastic life along with his friend Gregory and other like-minded Christians. They studied the works of Origen, and Basil even wrote a rule for their communal way of living, a rule which eventually became the basis for monasticism in the Christian East. In time, Basil's devotion to living the life of Jesus caught the attention of the bishop Eusebius, who persuaded Basil to become a priest. In a short period of time, he became well known for his intellectual and spiritual gifts and was a natural successor to Eusebius. In the year 370, 
Basil became the bishop of Caesarea. As a bishop, Basil was exceptionally attentive to the plight of the poor and the sick. Frequently, he railed against the unjust privileges of the rich and powerful that drove more and more people into extreme levels of, of poverty. Despite the displeasure of civil leaders and the wealthy, Basil was resolute in his determination to establish a hospital for the sick and places of refuge for the homeless and hungry. Basil worked with equal energy to catechize all on the true divinity and true humanity of Jesus through many orations, written works, and homilies. The Arian heresy, which denied the true divinity of Jesus Christ, had now attracted new and very intellectual proponents. Basil not only matched their erroneous logic, but mapped out reasoned and theological presentations in homilies and other texts that became cornerstones of the Catholic intellectual tradition. He shored up sound teaching by surrounding himself with trusted friends and installing bishops in his metropolitan see that he knew would uphold the faith of Christianity as articulated at the Council of Nicaea. At the young age of 49, he died on January 1st in the year 379, leaving a lasting legacy that influenced the living of Christianity for generations to follow, including our own. This Sunday, we will listen to an excerpt of Question 8 from The Long Rules. The Long Rules is a work wherein St. Basil outlines principles for monastic living. In this particular question, Basil reflects on the necessity of renunciation as embodied in the disciples who responded to Jesus' call proclaimed in this Sunday's Gospel. As is often the practice, uh, today's podcast description contains a link to an article on my blog that reflects on Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of God. And now, from the long rules of St. Basil the Great, an excerpt from Question 8, entitled, Of Renunciation, Whether We Ought First to Give Up Everything and Thus Enter Upon the Devout Life. Our Lord Jesus Christ, coupling elaborate expositions with much forceful demonstration, says to all, If any man come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Again, he says, So likewise, every one of you that does not renounce all he possesses cannot be my disciple. This precept, we think, involves a number 
of necessary renunciations. Above all, we renounce the devil and carnal affections. In having given up the things of our secret shame, ties of physical relationship, human friendships, and a mode of life that is inimical to the perfection of the gospel of salvation. And what is still more necessary, he that has stripped off the old man with his deeds, who is corrupted according to the desire of error, renounces himself. Also, he repudiates all worldly affections which could hinder him from reaching the goal of piety. Such a one, moreover, regards as his true parents those who have brought him forth by the gospel and looks upon his brethren, those who have received the same spirit of adoption. And he will deem all possessions foreign to him as indeed they are. In short, he who is crucified to the world and to whom for the sake of Christ the whole world is crucified can no longer have any part in worldly concerns. Our Lord Jesus Christ depicted hatred of one's life and self-denial in their most vivid form when he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And then he added, And follow me. Again, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Perfect renunciation, therefore, consists in not having an affection for this life and keeping before our minds the answer of death that we should not trust in ourselves. But a beginning is made by detaching oneself from all external goods, property, vainglory, life in society, useless desires, after the Lord's example of his holy disciples. James and John left their father Zebedee and the very boat upon which their whole livelihood depended. Matthew left his counting house and followed the Lord, not merely leaving behind the profits of his occupation, but also paying no heed to the dangers which were sure to befall both himself and his family at the hands of the magistrate because he had left the tax accounts unfinished. To Paul, finally, the whole world was crucified, and he to the world. Thus, a man who is strongly seized with the desire of following Christ can no longer be concerned with anything pertaining to this life, not even with the love of his parents or other relatives, if this runs counter to the precept of the Lord, 
for in this case these words apply, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother, and so on. Not with human respect, so that he omits because of any profitable act. This fault the saints repudiated when they said, We ought to obey God rather than men. He can no longer pay heed to the profane who jeer at his good works so as to be intimidated by their scorn. But if a man would know more precisely and clearly the resoluteness united with desire, which is characteristic of those who follow the Lord, let him recall the apostle who for our instruction related the circumstances of his own case, saying, If any thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more, being circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, according to the law, a Pharisee according to zeal, persecuting the church of God, according to the justice that is in the law, conversing without blame. But the things that were gained to me, the same I have counted loss for Christ. Furthermore, I count all things to be but loss for the excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as dung, that I may, that I may gain Christ. If, to say a daring thing, but the truth nevertheless, the apostle likened to the excrement of the body, which we abominate and dispose of quickly, as possible, the very benefits of the law temporarily given by God, inasmuch as they are obstacles to the knowledge of Christ and that justice which is in him and our confirmation to his death. What could one say regarding the legislation of men? Why, furthermore, need we confirm our assertions by reasoning and by the examples of the saints when we may quote as evidence the very words of the Lord and thereby put to shame the timorous soul? His testimony is clear and undeniable in the words. So likewise, every one of you that does not renounce all that he possesses cannot be my disciple. And elsewhere after the words, if you will be perfect, he says first, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. And then he adds, come, follow me. Again, to the thoughtful person, the parable of the merchant points clearly to the same idea. The kingdom of heaven, says Jesus Christ, is like a merchant seeking good pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went his way and sold all that he had and bought it. 
It is evident that the precious pearl is meant to be an image of the heavenly kingdom, which the word of the Lord shows we cannot attain unless we give up in exchange for it all our possessions alike. Wealth, fame, lineage, and everything else that is an object of desire for many. Then, too, the Lord declared that it is impossible to achieve the wished-for end if the mind is distracted by a variety of cares. When he said, No man can serve two masters. And again, you cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, we should choose to have treasure in heaven alone so that we may keep our heart there. For, he says, Jesus Christ, where your treasure is, there your heart also. If then we keep in reserve any earthly possessions or perishable wealth, the mind sinks down into the mire and the soul inevitably becomes blind to God and insensible to the desires for the beauties of heaven and the good things laid up for us by promise. These we cannot gain possession of unless a strong and single-minded desire leads us to ask for them and lightens the labor of their attainment. This, then, is the renunciation as our discourse defines it, the severance of the bonds of this material and transient life and freedom from human concerns, whereby we render ourselves more fit to set out upon the road leading to God. It is the unhindered impulse towards the possession and enjoyment of inestimable goods, more to be desired than gold and many precious stones. In short, it is the transference of the human heart to a heavenly mode of life, so that we can say, but our conversation is in heaven. Also, and this is the chief point, it is the first step toward the likeness to Christ, who being rich became poor for our sake. Unless we attain to this likeness, it is impossible for us to achieve a way of life in accord with the gospel of Christ. How, indeed, can we gain either contrition of heart or humility of mind or deliverance from anger, pain, anxieties, in a word, from all destructive movements of the soul, if we are entangled in the riches and cares of a worldly life? and cling to others by affection and association. To put it briefly, by what process of logic is one who is not permitted to concern himself with necessary matters, such as food and clothing, allowed to be held in constraint 
by the evil cares of wealth, as if by thorns which prevent the seed planted by the husbandmen of our souls from bearing fruit. For our Lord says, That which was sown upon thorns are they who are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and yield no fruit. St. Basil the Great, pray for us. Let us pray. Almighty, ever-living God, direct our actions according to your good pleasure, that in the name of your beloved Son, we may abound in good works. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord.